the scary parts aren't aren't necessarily when the blood is flowing right it's it's when you know the, the suspense is built to a point where you can't take it anymore and you know something bad's going to happen the nudge this is the nudge today we begin with a discussion about music and sounds and how they relate to the writing process then eric shares a frightening story from his childhood and tim and matt join in on a discussion about fear versus suspense do you guys write with music in the background? Yes, I often, yeah. not 100%, but there's no like system to it. But at some point in the writing process, there will be a certain album or artist that will shortcut me into that zone. And then I'll just listen to that over and over. I find myself making playlists now with, uh, with specific stories or, or, or characters that I want to, to to do so eric i've been serializing this to you and i've got a soundtrack that i write to and it's it's no lyrics it's all um not that i don't mind writing to lyrics because like you said matt after a while the, the lyrics are just like it's just part of the song and i don't have to sit there and concentrate on them anymore it doesn't get into my head and i can't think about what i'm writing but yeah i i i, I write to music, not pur- it's not purposely, it's kind of like what you said about being found, you know, something will kick in and then I get this idea that it might not be related at all to what I'm hearing, but it just sets the mood in my head about, hmm, I'd like to get, I'd like to write, you know, and do something with this. But uh, I, I wonder, you know, we write to music maybe, do you read to music? And would it be odd to give somebody who bought Snow Out of Hairgrow a music list or you know and say when i was writing this this was the music i was listening to and if you want to have that kind of experience this is what you can plug into my old uh, professor steven he is a very involved member of his writing and reading community and his blog demon theory uh he publishes to that blog and one of the things that he has done is shared a lot of his how he did things, the byproduct stuff that comes of his writing. So when he read Infinite Jest, he had a, a bunch of notes throughout it about different things. When he did a 72-hour novel writing contest that he ended up winning, he did his whole diary that he published outside of it that kind of interwove and described how it was happening to him. He's just got a lot of interesting stuff up, and I remember particularly him talking about music and how, I don't know if it was necessarily like suggested tunes to listen to while reading, but certainly when I realized how music affected him and how much it was allowed and how much it sets something for you, like it's like bracing yourself against certain architecture or giving yourself at least one wall, these constraints that we were talking about last week of if you're listening to metal while you're writing there is a certain patience that you won't have or there is a certain like pace that you will have at base i mean maybe maybe it sets you in a certain zone but i think the even the setting verb there is of like placement locating and constriction um and so i find it really interesting because i think about reading to music and a lot of the reading that I do is, is from a critical perspective um, to tell people afterwards how I felt. 
I find reading for pleasure, I love reading for pleasure to music. You know, again, stuff without lyrics. If there's lyrics involved, then I'm two-timing my word brain. It doesn't sink so much into the background, but like a nice night of sitting on the couch with like, you know, level three volume uh, Eric Satie playing, like there's nothing that admits that I am relaxing and reading more than that or just some, you know, gentle plucking whatever. Yeah, the the, the constraint of, I hadn't thought about that aspect of it, but I think that is part of it. Like once I have like do a few different albums or artists and then decide like this is the one that puts me in the place that I've decided that this is the, the general mood. It's not going to, I'm not going to go too far afield of that in the writing. It's going to be, this is the kind of piece that I'm working on. It is this kind of piece. And, uh, if I'm listening to this, this kind of music, that's going to keep me in that mood and not get too zany or if it is zany, not get too serious or, uh, mm. Mm. I, I will say for new writers that when you go to do your edits and your drafts, that might be the time you turn off the music because mm -hmm. you really do want to be focused on the, the what's on the page, not not mm -hmm. just pulling out what's in your head. Um, I don't know. I think it was Douglas Adams that said something about that. He says, "Yeah, because Adams was all you know running around with Pink Floyd and and David Gilmore and all those guys, and and he said he you know we'd listen to this music so, like Stephen King would always list." ACDC or whoever right, he happened right, to be looking yeah. 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 And uh, I think it was Adams that said, though, but the, something like, when I go to the stage of crafting the actual, you know, this is this is a story and now I've got it down, I've got to edit. He said, then I don't listen to anything. I just, you know, zero in on, on what's on the page. Mm -hmm. But uh, but I think, it, you know, I, I'm glad I read and heard that him, him, others say, yeah, you can write to music. You know, I, I confess, but, I, I don't always follow the rule. <laughs> you know, I don't know if there is a rule. There's what works for you and what doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. But, but with, the, with the writing, like if I'm like just you know, doing that first draft, I can have music on and I can have, I can have kids running around. I can have people coming in and out and I can get it out. But uh, when it's editing, that's when I need like, okay, no kids, no, yeah. no people coming in and out. But I can't have like that, like general like tumult and chaos in the room like with editing is i that's where i need to be like yeah please. this is so interesting matt because uh some of the the students that i was talking they were like i just can't seem to get focused i can't you know and they started describing all the things that they're doing to get away from the other you know the noise as they call it you know i, I you know i shut myself up in the room mm -hmm. and i don't you know and and i wonder if that might be counterproductive in a sense you know that I, i've we've been talking a lot about uh cooking you know not cooking uh food but cooking let's go for it about how it comes you know after you know i think you used the word found and and, and things connecting and so forth and uh most of the stu students that i'm working with they, they, their biggest fear or challenge is that they can't finish a story and they can't get down on paper what they want to get down on paper so they never start the story it's one of those two. And so when you say you can write with everything going on, it made me think about that. It might be something I need to share with them and say, listen, just go for it. <laughs> just let, you know, put the blender on, go for it. I had a, I had a small story. I didn't write it down, but I was interested in telling you guys. Yeah. I've, I've loved scary stories since I was... A young kid, I used to read scary stories, one, two, three, great collections of kids' books. 
my fifth grade teacher, Mr. Wilson, for the three years leading up to being near enough to him, uh, there was this school-wide acknowledgement that at the end of the year, Mr. Wilson always told a story, and it was the story about Mr. Wilson's cabin. And once you hit fifth grade and Halloween came around, he would always tell the story. And I don't even really remember the story, but I remember the mystique and mystery of hearing a scary story from the person's point of view who was telling it and knowing how fearful that could be of having somebody say like, this is scary. This was scary to me. And so I, I was walking and getting ready for this week to share a story with you guys. And um, I went on a walk with the dogs and I remembered a really, a real terrifying story for me that I came back down and just jot, jotted down the last lines of it. There was, there was this experience that I had when I was a kid where I was in elementary school, or I was in middle school, actually, at a brand new middle school, sixth grade. And um, I was just at the age where I discovered that I could get away with lying. I had lied in third grade to my mom and gotten caught. I was terrible. And I vowed after getting grounded never to get caught lying again. So I spent a couple years not lying, and then I started practicing in small ways. And the easiest way to lie is to be confident with somebody who you don't know. If it's somebody who you know, you run the risk of them calling you out and of hearing your tone of voice. But with somebody new, all you have to do is be confident enough to say what you're going to say. And, you know, you're in school all the time around strangers. And... Uh, school in sixth grade for me was miserable in some ways because I transferred schools and this is middle school so like you're just getting aimed at high school and you're leaving elementary school where you know things are sure and things will be sure but right now there's a whole lot going on and it was the middle of winter um, in Colorado so there was this just sort of dense packed lifestyle it was like you're always in too many clothes kind of bopping around with a bunch of kids everybody with matted hair and everything and uh, I didn't want to be at school one day and we lived 1.3 miles from my middle school which if you lived 1.5 miles or higher you could take the bus the school bus would pick you up but anything under that you couldn't and living that far away you trudge to school you get completely soaked you're there and you're like, this fucking sucks. So I I went to the nurse and my mom and dad had recently gotten divorced. So she was pretty loosey-goosey about like, you know, if if you don't want to be at school, you just, I understand, like just, t- you know, call and tell me and da 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 So it was one of the few times that I went to the nurse and was just like, I'm not feeling really all that great. And I, I think I'm sick. I think I'm getting sick. I, I threw a fever and threw it extra just because it was like, I didn't know if she was actually gonna believe it. I remember the feeling of the room. It was like a single, like slick linoleum cot or whatever that shitty plastic is that they use for like ability to antisept it after you get off of it. And she gave me a couple of ibuprofen after calling my mom. And like, you know, it's like 11 o'clock, 10.30 in the morning. She put me on the phone with my mom and you, you throw the voice a little bit 
And uh, she's like, okay, well, just call me when you get home. So I set out and it was like, man, I'm so used to this road. Norwood is the street being kind of a highway of kids every time I walk it. It's like all of us under 1.5 milers who are uh, strolling along this thing on our way in groups of one, two, three, but there's always like a chain of people. And now instead of that, it's like, it's this weird pink sidewalk that's about maybe a kid wide if you lay them down on it. It's a little wider than a normal sidewalk that curves up in these S shapes up the, uh, up back towards my house, which is at the top of the hill. And I set out on it and the whole thing is just like blown with snow. It's completely whitewashed and I'm kind of like bundled into my parka, hood down walking. And it strikes me suddenly like as I leave school, how I've never done this by myself before and how insecure I feel about that and how suddenly like whatever heat that I was faking back at school like I feel like I'm kind of getting a fever all of a sudden that the sickness that I was pretending to have is actually coming on to me and the the way the walk goes you have you kind of take a turn and then you have a long straightaway that crosses 19th street hill and 19th street hill is this super steep hill that um, you didn't want to ever bike down or up it was so steep and then you cross that and go up these windy curves to get back to my place i remember getting to that 19th street intersection which is a little it's like a little under halfway from school and i look back and there was a man just on the walk behind me with like a black cloak kind of waving and he was maybe like like a a pinky finger tall or a little taller than that on the horizon. Like it was crazy how big he felt for how small he was. And I just turned and I looked and it was like, everything was white. There were no cars, nobody's driving anywhere. And I just like started walking like 1.1 X faster. I was just like, alert, alert no one to the fact that you feel alert, but you need to start moving a little differently now. And I started like going up these S curves and I also had this sensation that it's very important that you don't look back because if you look back, he will start moving faster too. Um, if you don't look back, he will maintain a complete sensation in himself that you are unaware of his presence and that he doesn't need to do anything to capture you. Um, but you need to start just increase your speed. And so I would, like every step I took, I would start to take a little bit faster, never to the point of running, but like to the point where it's like, oh, you're just pretending to like train for something. All these little things, these little excuses for taking these estrins slightly faster and faster until I looked, uh, until I got to 14th Street, which was my street. It's a double wide street. Um, and I had this plan for about 150 feet before that point that I was going to take it and I was going to take the green belt up to my house rather than take the street uh, because the green belt I know better than anybody. Like I, uh, well, better than anybody who's never been to the neighborhood. So I, I'm about to take that right onto 14th and it's the only time when I consider looking back and I don't. I just turn and I go and then it's like a, a row of trees, an island of trees that runs along the side. And then I'm kind of into my neighborhood. But again, everything is like dense with snow. Nobody's driving around. And also it's the, the time of day that's like 
nobody is nobody would be here right now any adults that i know are at work or in their houses everything feels very very quiet this is the only time that i pick up almost to the point of a slight skipping jog and i jump into the green belt i jump into the green belt go up up it it like kind of runs up and then you can get to the back of my house and uh i get in unlatch the gate push back in dive in the glass sliding glass door close it and am greeted by my dog abby um who is a rottweiler australian shepherd uh close the door shed my boots kind of like settle in um looking around unpack my stuff the doorbell rings And, like, just everything dropped for me. Like, everything was just suddenly, like, very, very... There's no windows that we have that actually look out onto the front stoop at all. Um, there's no reason anybody would be at the house at this time. Like, maybe, like, a... Uh, like a Seventh-day Adventist or something, but, like, doesn't make sense middle of the week. And Abby just goes apeshit. Like, she's she's already a defensive dog, but she barks at everybody who rings the doorbell because nobody rings the doorbell. She's going crazy. And I'm just, like, kind of tucked in the kitchen, you know, not going to answer the door. And the doorbell rings again, which, like, incites Abby to more and more intense activity. And I went to the door, and I cracked it open, and a man was standing there in black. I said, hello, and, like, can I help you? And he said, I'm a doctor. I understand you have a fever. It was a good story. It reminds me of campfires and, and uh, sitting around in the Boy Scouts and just, you know, <laughs> somebody goes off and starts telling the story like that. And you, you can't help but get a little bit edgy, right? You can't help but listen a little bit closer. You can't help but uh, imagine you, you see it in your head. And you start to pull for something, you know, you start, you, you start like, don't do that or do do that or something like that. And then, and then the twist comes yeah. <laughs> and the twist comes and then you're like, oh yeah, it's a good story. <laughs> was, I was also a new kid in sixth grade and I mean, it's a transitional year anyway, but that right on the cusp, like I'm old enough to take care of myself almost mm. that sense of like, I'm, I'm old enough to walk home, but I don't, there's still just enough that I don't, I'm not quite sure of, but you're just like, no, I, the rules are, I think I figured the world out. If I don't look back, mm -hmm. I'll be okay. Like I, I know. Mm -hmm. I still get that feeling. I, like, I still know the feeling of like, it's, it's nighttime. I'm driving and somebody pulls in behind me Yeah, and oh, they yeah. follow me through yeah. turns that it's like, nobody would go these, these distances identically right now right right something's no, gotta something's be. weird i'm gonna drive yeah. an extra you know i'm glad i'm in a car but i also yeah. eventually have to get out of the car right 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 only yeah. then there was no car it was just like yeah I, I gotta get home i gotta get home and this guy is definitely fucking following me yeah 
Yeah. Why else? Why else would he be here right well, now? Why else would he be here? Yeah. yeah. You know, when you asked us to think about this last week, Eric, I, I thought about it in a different way. What makes something frightening? You know, what, what kind of things versus suspense? Because, you know, suspense, there's tension and we, we're pulled for something to happen or, or succeed or fail or something like that. Mm -hmm. Jack out of the box is about Jack the Ripper and, and so forth. And you would think that's going to be the one that's scary. And I hope, hope there's some moments in there that are scary, but it, it's not. It's a tense, it's a suspense piece more than anything else. And then Red House on the Hill, that I was aiming for, for scary, right? And I started to think about where it came from and it's another one of those moments where you're sitting alone in a house somewhere maybe it's a strange house or maybe you're on the edge of sleep right and and you you feel something is watching you or someone is watching you from a doorway or that kind of moment and that that kicked off the whole thing was that if somebody went to a strange cabin strange house not not public you know out in the woods type of thing and they've never been in that that situation before and you hear the creak on the floor, or you just even imagine that you just know something is outside that door mm -hmm. and you know it's irrational and you know it's in your head, but you cannot think of it as any other thing is that, how do I know there's something outside that door? Mm -hmm. Those primordial type of moments, you know, is this animal instinct that we've been carrying along for, this mm. is the, you know, fight and flight moment. And, and I got to thinking, yes, there's the bump in the night, you know, the things that go bump in the night. And why is that? That could go all the way back, you know, to caveman days and, and, and things where you better be aware of the bumps in the night because it could be your ass, right? <laughs> if you don't. But it's also this thrill of uh, loss of control, you know, that I think loss of control has to be in there. You are a young boy walking on the street and you are suddenly aware that you are not in control of your Mm -hmm. next 24 minutes 38 you know whatever it may be mm -hmm. it's that that's that's the scary part it's that loss of control that something's going to happen to us or happen to the character that we're following and there's not a thing we can say about it or do about it and yet it may not happen mm -hmm. i mean it's got to have that element in there it's got to have that kind of if it's a straight out you know think think of psycho and so forth you know these these moments where the scary parts aren't aren't necessarily when the blood is flowing right it's it's when you know the, the suspense is built to a point where you can't take it anymore and you know something bad's going to happen i i think it's usually risk and i think it's risk to death you know it's it's for scary it's got to be you're going to lose something or somebody so i i think of things like a mother turns around in the store and suddenly her four or five six year old daughter or son is not behind them that's a scary moment right there because we know in our whole host of things of of come crashing in right and we know what could happen and what might happen um and i think it's got to have a little element of being unfair mm -hmm. it's absolutely, totally totally yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. it's it's you know it's absolutely unfair yeah. that you should be stalked <laughs> by this doctor kind of thing yeah. right yeah um you gotta when i read good scary stuff I'm so angry. Yeah. At the same time, I'm so afraid. Yeah. You know, I was like, God. Yeah. Like, no, no, no. Why is this happening to these yeah. good people? You know, yeah. I, I think that to me is some of the elements of what, what makes something scary. God, That's I love what I was that fairness thing is so big too. The the inability for justice to be served. They're gonna get away with this. Like, yeah. We're the only observer to this, and I can't reach through the pages. 
Yeah. What it suggests, again, maybe, is the thing can come through the pages. Like, the thing can still be in the world completely unaddressed. Matt, what did you come up with? I had a hard time writing something. Ended up not writing anything. And But, you know, I did get thinking about, like, well, what was the most scared I've ever been in real life? And, uh, I mean, it echoes a little bit of what you guys already talked about. I think I was in ninth grade. It was either eighth or ninth grade. And it was the middle of the night, and I had to go to the bathroom. And my bedroom was up in the attic, even then. <laughs> uh, I grew up in a, a, a small town, like a very, very small town in the, the foothills of the Allegheny Mountains in Pennsylvania, like a little oil town, uh, isolated, Appalachian, dark, uh, quiet. And to get from uh, my bedroom upstairs, uh, and there's only one bathroom in the house, so I had to go down the stairs, through the kitchen, through the dining room, and then turn left down a little hall to the bathroom. And when I make that left turn, I can see from the dining room into the living room, across the living room, uh, and look through the picture window, big picture window in our living room, out onto our front porch. And when I went down this night, I made that turn, and I looked, just happened to glance through the living room, through the picture window, out onto the front porch. And it was, I think, February, January, February, winter, snow, uh, shadows on the snow. And I was certain that I saw someone standing on our front porch mm. looking in the picture window. And I just was like terrifying, like, like the like color and like life drained out of me. And I like, just kind of like fell into the bathroom, like just like, down the <laughs> hall, like fell into the bathroom and closed the door. Hmm. And and just like it just tripped that like fear brain and i just like every fact uh, of my vulnerability became like the most like pertinent thing like we live in a small town where, where like my mom grew up there she's lived there her whole life we don't lock the doors so he's standing and looking in this front window and that front door is unlocked and he can walk in if he wants to but he can come in here and he can do anything and like no one like will know mm. what's the scary going part on. the scary part right there matt is you don't say what he's going to do it's he can do anything we leave it yeah. to the imagination of ourselves and the reader it's like right uh, right it's right there's just i don't know who this guy is like how and and then that unfairness i hadn't thought of that before but there was certain like why our house like why yeah. is he standing on the porch of our house like why thank you for joining us this was the nudge aspects of horror links to free pdfs of some of the writing discussed in the nudge are in the description where possible otherwise we have shared our work at clawfootpress.com if you enjoyed our episode keep an eye out for the next gem 
Or, if you would like more, we release long-form conversation weekly between these polished episodes.